أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير وآتينا موسى الكتاب وجعلناه هدى لبني إسرائيل ألا تتخذوا من دوني وكيلا ذرية من حملنا مع نوح إنه كان عبدا شكورا وقضينا إلى بني إسرائيل في الكتاب لتفسدن في الأرض مرتين لتفسدن في الأرض مرتين ولتعلن علوا كبيرا فإذا جاء وعد أولاهما بعثنا عليكم عبادا لنا أولي بأس شديد فجاسوا خلال الديار وكان وعدا مفعولا ثم رددنا لكم الكرة عليهم وأمددناكم بأموال وبنين وأمددناكم بأموال وبنين وجعلناكم أكثر نفيرا إن أحسنتم أحسنتم لأنفسكم وإن أسأتم فلها فإذا جاء وعد الآخرة ليسوءوا وجوهكم وليدخلوا المسجد كما دخلوه أول مرة وليدخلوا المسجد كما دخلوه أول مرة وليتبروا ما علوا تتبيرا عسى ربكم أن يرحمكم وَإِنْ عُدْتُمْ عُدْنَا وَجَعَلْنَا جَهَنَّمَ لِلْكَافِرِينَ حَصِيرًا الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين So alhamdulillah nice to be with you again for the tafsir of the 15th juz of the Quran We're nearly at our halfway mark Alhamdulillah so today in the 15th juz there are two chapters, two surahs that are being covered. Uh, one is the entire Bani Israel, which is also in some mushafs it's also named as Suratul Isra. And that's relevant, there's two names, Suratul Isra and Surat Bani Israel. And that is for about 111 verses and then after that a very prominent surah which a lot of people are used to reading week in and week out, is Surah Al-Kahf. So most of Surah Al-Kahf will also be covered today. And there's a small section of Surah Al-Kahf that is left for the 16th Juz, which will inshallah be uh, tomorrow. So today we cover Bani Israel, Isra, 
and uh, we cover most of Surah Al-Kahf, insha'Allah. So both, both these surahs, they're Makki surahs. So Surah Al-Isra is a Makki surah. It has 111 verses, and it's split up into about 12 sections, 12 themes. In general, themes are mentioned. The names that I mentioned, Isra and Bani Israel, they're both relevant because it actually begins with the first verse. Subhanalladhi asra bi abdi actually starts with a discussion of the Isra. And then several verses after that, they're about the Bani Israel. The Bani Israel are the Israelites, the children of Israel. Israel is Yaqub So the children of Yaqub that's what they called afterwards Bani Israel to maybe differentiate them from other tribes that came from Ibrahim the Bani Ismail we have, which is who the Prophet came from. Uh, however, to go back to the other name, which is Isra. Now, Asra, Yusri, Isra, in Arabic means to take somebody by night. Basically, take somebody on a night journey. So Allah says, glorified is he who took his servant by night from the Masjid al-Haram to Masjid al-Aqsa, around which we had blessed its environs so that we could show him from our signs. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-hearing and all-seeing. So the discussion here is about the night journey from Makkah Mukarramah to Jerusalem. Though many ahadith will detail the story much further, and there are allusions to that, not necessarily clear-cut, absolutely explicit, but there are definitely allusions to that in Surah Al-Najm. Which we'll be looking at, inshallah, when we get to those last parts of the Qur'an. So, there's two parts of this miraculous journey of the Prophet One is that he was taken on this buraq with Jibreel He was taken to, from Masjid Haram which is in Mecca, he was sleeping, there's a long story, uh, exactly where he was and so on, and then the discussion of the angels, his, hearts, his heart being washed and cleansed another time, and then he was taken on this night journey, he, goes, he stops in a few places in between as well, uh, and then he gets to Jerusalem, there he does, uh, he sees what he has to see, he meets the other prophets, there's a, in Sahih Muslim, there's a whole discussion of him leading the other uh, Anbiya and prophets in prayer, and then after that they carry on, right? There's a whole discussion of exactly where they had tied the Burak as well. And there's a significance of that still if you go there today. The Burak wall is there and so on. And then it goes up to the heavens. So now this part going up to the heavens is actually called the Mi'raj. Because as I said, Isra is a night journey. So while the night journey could refer to everything because it all happened in the night and it happened very quickly in terms of a worldly sense, uh, you know, it happened very quickly though it was a whole journey. And from Masjid al-Aqsa up to the heavens is generally referred to as the Mi'raj. Particularly because the word Mi'raj uh, refers to ascension. Right? So when you're talking about an ascension, that means to go up, to elevate, to, to climb up. So he went on the Burak up to where no other human had ever been to. And then he continued to where the abode of the angels throughout the seven heavens. And then after that he came to one place beyond the seven heavens after which Jibreel stopped at which Jibreel even was the closest and the greatest of the angels, he said, I can't go further from here. The Prophet then proceeded alone to meet with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And according to the majority view among the Sahaba as well, he actually saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that night, not just spoke to him. He actually saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On each of the, and on, also on each of the 
heavens, the seven heavens, he saw different, he met with different prophets. You can read about all of that in the tafsirs and in the hadith and in books about the mi'raj. So, <clears throat> just a few things that need to be uh, explained here is that this was not in a sleep, this was not a dream. The Prophet has been all over the place in dreams, meaning he's been to paradise, he's seen lots of things like that. And if it was just a dream that he was claiming, then nobody would have made a big hoo-ha. Because when he came back, Abu Jahl tried to make fun of this. And he tried to rally people against this, thinking this was an absurdity. Until eventually, he was, the Prophet ﷺ was put in one place. And there were some people who had visited Jerusalem. right? And they were told to ask him to describe Jerusalem. And he said, I didn't know because uh, I'd only visited there at night. And I didn't really go and inspect it, take a review of it, or take a survey of it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put for me a vision of Jerusalem, like almost like you can imagine a 3D model nowadays, right, today. And he says, I was able to answer every one of their questions. Amazing, right? So it was definitely done, and that's the belief of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that it was done something physically with his body, though it was quite a journey of a, quite a distance, like hundreds of miles. But that was all done within a few hours. He was back. In Makkah Mukarramah, by the morning he was back there already. Siddiq radiallahu anh, that's when he got his name because when he was asked about this by Abu Jahl, he said, I absolutely believe it. If he said so, I believe it. He's called Siddiq, which means the absolutely voracious, uh, voracious one. So the point is that this is a miracle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this was really an honor from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he'd been where nobody, Musa alayhi really wanted to see Allah. He wasn't, he wasn't made to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world, uh, but the Prophet got to see him and a lot of other things, and there's lots of other discussions about that, and that's obviously where we get our salat, 50 prayers from as well. Right? What a gift on what an auspicious journey from what an auspicious Lord to an auspicious Prophet. Now that talks about the significance of prayer. Now if we move on, the main points of this surah, uh, which we want to just quickly go through, uh, is... Uh, are the following. So the first big discussion there, uh, part of the verses that I read, are about the Bani Israel. Now this one is kind of talking about their history, not just about what they were doing at that time, uh, the, the three Jewish tribes that were living among uh, in Medina Munawwara. It wasn't just about the issues with them, but it actually starts from a big history uh, going back up. Now, they, they, uh, in their history, according to the Bible, has this big discussion about this as well. They've had a huge discussion of a lot of corruption that they've caused, uh, they'd caused in different places. And because of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we, uh, I mean, they've done it more than that. We said that there are two times when you will cause a lot of corruption in the land and then you will act in great haughtiness and arrogance and tyranny. And uh, when that happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 5, when the first instance of that came, the first major instance, because Allah always forgives, forgives, tolerates, tolerates, forbears, forbears, so such, such a long time until it gets just over the top. That's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes in uh, uh, to seize people. And that's why I remember once, just very important to know about this, once in our class, there was a student who used to always mess around. And one day he was messing around and Mufti Saab, uh, the, the teacher came in and he got caught. And he said, it was my first time. And this is what Mufti Sahih says, even Allah does not catch somebody for the first time. Allah lets people go for so many times, right, until he eventually catches them, right? Um, subhanallah. Anyway, so then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this. So there are several instances in the history saying that there's twice that you're going to cause corruption and then you will be punished for that, 
right? You'll be wiped out. I mean, you'll be really, really punished, right? Totally eradicated. Jerusalem was destroyed. And there were several instances where this happened. The, the, the prominent ones I'll just quickly uh, mention because people, uh, th th this is an interesting point here. So the first of them is <clears throat> Allahu Akbar. There's had, they've had a long history of de deviation uh, at that time and that's what the Quran is referring to. So which are the two events that the Quran is referring to? Because it's talking about two events here. But then it says that if you do it again, we'll do it again as well. So it's not like restricted to two events. But before the Qur'an was revealed, there are, uh, which events are these? The first one probably has to be the invasion of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The, he's a tyrant of Babylon. He came in and subhanAllah, this took place during the prophet Jeremiah's time. right? And uh, he, tried his, he tried his best to bring people back to the straight path, but it wasn't working. And then finally in 587 BC, so 587 before Isa this Nebuchadnezzar comes and invades Jerusalem, demolishes Baytul Maqdis in Jerusalem, right, and annihilates a huge number of the Israelites, and he took the others as captives to Babylon, Babylon, Iraq, that area. Uh, of course, they learned a lesson from this, and after a long period in exile, Cyrus, who is one of the leaders of the emperor of, the, of Persia, Right, he conquers Babylon and he allows the, allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and then they build, they, they build Baytul Maqdis again. The second event, what one does that refer to? Allah knows best, but there's one, another one which was an invasion by Antiochus Epiphanius. I think that's how you say it. Right, the Greek tyrant, he invades Jerusalem in 175. So that's just another 400 years later. Right when the Israelites went back to their misdeeds, and again similar fate that they suffered. The one that I've read, read about came after the Isa salam, right? Which I've read a whole history about, right? And that is the one which possibly, according to other exegetes, they believe that this is the second one. That is by the Emperor Titus, his father Vespasian. He was a Roman emperor. He had sent Titus. Titus then became the emperor. This was in 70 CE. So 70 after Isa alayhi salam. And subhanAllah, that was a destruction. That was a destruction. And he took back so much of the, uh, of the treasures of Jerusalem. And there's been people trying to look for it. Where is that exactly? Because is it in Carthage in, in Tunisia? Is it in Rome? Because in Rome, there's, there's a, a victory arch that was built by Titus, I think, uh, or Vespasian. Uh, under which they basically, and it has the whole procession. Nobody's allowed to go through that right now uh, as uh, instruction of the Israeli government because it's glorifying the destruction of Jerusalem, right, of the time. But it could be any of these. But the main point that we have to understand here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنْ عُدْتُمْ عُدْنَا وَجَعَلْنَا جَهَنَّمِ الْكَافِرِينَ حَصِيرًا Which is in verse 8. If you're going to carry on and you do it again, you return to it, well, we'll do the same thing again. So, um, of course, this is uh, something for all of us to learn a lesson from. And then the next point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions here, there's several discussions in here which you can inshallah read for yourself, but what you'll find is the reverence for the Qur'an. Again, the Qur'an, the idea, اِقْرَأْ كِتَابَكَ كَفَى بِنَفْسِكَ الْيَوْمَ عَلِيكَ حَسِيبًا And then there's the discussion of وَكُلُّ إِنسَانٍ أَلْزَمْنَاهُ طَائِرَهُ فِي عُنُقِهِ Right, which is verse 12. Um, 
Actually, before that, human, the human has been built with haste. He can't wait. He can't have enough patience. This is generally a lot of humans struggle with haste, with no patience rather. So that's mentioned here. Now, what's interesting is that from after the discussion of the Bani Israel, there are approximately 13 Islamic adab and etiquette and akhlaq that are mentioned uh, that Muslims should uh, adorn themselves by and imbibe this themselves with. These are, a lot of these are discussions of uh, collective adab, right? A lot of these are collective adab. And what you have to understand is that any nation only ascends and elevates itself and becomes honorable by the akhlaq that they show. Not necessarily just by killing and, and, and murder. That doesn't get to the heart. But when somebody do, does it with, uh, with akhlaq, that's what really matters. So if you look at verses 23 to 39, that's when you're going to see all of, these, all of this discussion. 23 to 39. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا This is the famous verse of obedience to parents. Speaking about where if your parents, especially if they get to old age, right, you don't want to, this is where it uses an onomatopoeia in the Quran, right, where it uses a word to say, don't even say uff, which means obviously anything worse you can't say, but don't even say uff to your parents, right. You can disagree with them politely and respectfully but you cannot show any disobedience you cannot show any bad manners and disobedience you always have to show them that love because of the fact that they gave you birth they brought you into the world um, again this is something which is oft discussed I'm not going to discuss it again but essentially the first of these akhlaq and adab and the Islamic rights that are discussed is don't uh, do not worship anybody but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala number two uh, obedience and kindness, excellence to parents. Number three, I'm just going to quickly go through and you can find them in the verses. Being good to your, uh, to your relatives uh, with uh, faqir and the poor people, the musafirin, travelers, to look out for them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُبَذِّرْ Do not be extravagant, do not waste money, and do not basically use your wealth in the haram essentially because such people are the brothers of the shaitan who are extravagant like that. Just because Allah has given them a lot, they actually use it in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about don't be miserly either, but spend when you need to spend. Don't open your hand up so much that then, you know, you spend so much then you have nothing left and then you're remorseful. But then also do not be so tight as well. Do not kill your children out of fear of poverty. Then some of the major things verse 33 do not kill people basically do not kill people unless there's a right to do so do not go close to the wealth of yatim right uh, fulfill your covenants and make sure that you give the right scale and measure verse 35 and then the other thing is don't go after things which you do not have knowledge about and then just make a big rumor about it. Rumor-mongering, slandering, uh, tail-bearing, those kind of things, just avoid that. Because everything is going to be asked about, Allah says, your sight, hearing and everything. And then another one is that do not basically swagger around on the earth in arrogance. Don't basically 
as a, as a bragging individual, go and exalt yourself and, and stomp around on the ground. Because Allah says, you're not going to be able to tear the, tear the ground. Like, what are you trying to do? You're, going to, you're going against the ground or something like that. And you can't even get in height to the, to the mountains anyway. So all of that is discussed. Then after that, there's a few other discussions about rejection of the hereafter and resurrection. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about that again. But then the main thing about this, Allah mentioned this several times, is that وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِيَذَّكَّرُوا صَرَّفْنَا 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 Sarrafna means we've provided you so many examples. We've discussed so many subjects in the Qur'an. لِيَذَّكَّرُوا So they can take heed. They can learn from it. But unfortunately, if their eyes are closed, if their hearts are closed, وَمَا يَزِيدُهُمْ إِلَّا نُفُورًا They just increase in their hatred, right, for it. There are numerous other discussions about the Qur'an, uh, how they react to the Qur'an and so on. Another verse which is important, وَكُلِّ عِبَادِي يَقُولُ الَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنُ Tell my servants that they should say that which is excellent and good. Don't say bad things. Now another thing which is very interesting, most of the time Allah says, كُلِّ عِبَادِي عِبَادِي يَا عِبَادِي يَا عِبَادِي My servants. Generally that's talking about believers. Now if you look at the beginning of the chapter, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ أُولَاهُمَا بَعَثْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ عِبَادًا لَنَا when that first instance of their rebellion and their, and, and their excess began of the Bani Israel, we sent upon them servants, lana, of ours, that belonged to us, that were also ours. Why saying, why didn't he just say, Ba'athna alaykum ibaduna, or ibadana rather, like our servants? Why not clearly just our servants, as he says it when it comes to uh, believers? This is a very subtle point, and what it could be because these people were non Muslim. They were disbelievers. So they're still servants. So they are my ser- they're still servants of mine. But they're not my servants as ill. They're not behaving like my, my servants. But every other place you see, وَكُلِّ ibadi يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا That's very interesting. If you look at, um, you, you can read all of this for yourself. I'll mention a few more points before we finish the surah. But this part here is very interesting. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 89 says, We basically presented all types of parables and examples and samples in the Quran. But the majority of people, they've, they've denied. Now look at this. These were the challenges, sorry, these were the, the challenges by the people of Makkah, similar to the challenges of the people of the past to the Prophet sallallahu They're asking for the following from verse 91. We're not going to believe in you, right, until you show us the following miracles. Number one, that you cause a spring to gush forth from the ground. Now in Makkah, that would be very useful. So like, cause that to happen. Number two, or that you have this palm orchard or a, a vine orchard and you cause a stream or a river to flow in between. Or that you cause a part of the, a piece from the heavens to drop down upon us. Or that you let us visit the angels or let the angels visit us. Right? Or that you have a house made of gold. Just getting crazy. Like if you're so if you if you say that you have help from the unseen and so on, why don't you just get a house that's made of gold? Or that you ascend to the heaven. Now, even if you ascend to the heaven, we're still not gonna agree with your ascension. Until you bring us like a physical book down from there. You go up in nothing and you come back down with a book. Subhanallah.
I don't know if there's any relevance in this, but the concept of Isra or the journey of Isra is mentioned in the same chapter in which they're challenging him to go up to the heavens. He went up to the heavens. Verse, uh, verses 82, 88, 89, they talk in, again, they sp speak about the truthfulness of the Quran and some of the uh, objectives of the Quran and so on. Verse 61 to 65 is, This is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ennobles the human being over all other creatures. We can see that in practice. The other day I had a question in, I was at a program, I think it was last year or two years ago. And this, literally this guy goes, why do, human, why do we think we're superior to all other animals? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so in the Quran. He's given us basically disposable of everything in the world. We mustn't abuse it though, we must look after things. Right? Then there's the discussion of Musa salam and Pharaoh that comes from 101 to 100 and, uh, 104. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one of the benefits of bringing the Quran bit by bit and not all at once. Because they say, why don't you just bring it all at once? In verse 106, Allah says, right, This is the, the, the Quran, we've, dis, we've brought piecemeal, bit by bit. So that you can read it to people bit by bit, slowly, slowly. Right? We're going to reveal the whole thing. Whether you believe it or not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries on. Just a few other things before we finish the surah of that I want to point out is, yeah, this walaqat sarrafna, this concept is quite a bit. When it comes to zina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, in, in the Quran doesn't say wala taznoon generally. Generally, the discussion is wala taqrabu zina, do not get close, because it's a very slippery slope. That's just the way the human psyche is made, that as soon as you see something that attracts you, don't even start there because that very easy from the look, to the discussion, to the text message, to the touch, and then it carries on. So be very careful about obscenity and things like that. Stay very far from it because it's a very, very slippery slope. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 18 and 19 speaks about, if you want the world, we can give it to you. It's not a problem. But remember, the real one is of the hereafter, and that is going to be well more worth your time and your effort in the, in the future. Then, just another one. Subhanallah, these verses have, th these verses, you can see the jalal of Allah, the majesty of Allah. This is verse 72, seven, 73, 74, 75. I mean, it starts from 72, which is, وَمَنْ كَانَ Those who are going to be blind in this world, they're going to be blind in the hereafter. That clearly doesn't mean physically blind. It means... Uh, uh, blind from the truth Then they're going to be blind hereafter They won't have the goodness And they won't be able to see the goodness However then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says In this really awesome way That um, if we had not protected you essentially And we've not, if, if we'd not protected you in the different ways Then it, it's possible that You could have inclined towards them Because they used to give you lots of offers That will believe if you do this If you make concessions here If you do that and if uh, Allah is saying that if that's obviously a big struggle and a big tension, a big, uh, uh, a big pressure on the Prophet ﷺ. But then Allah sounds a warning. He says, if you then did incline to them, then we would have given you to taste double the dunya, double the life and double the death. And then you would not find anybody to assist you uh, from us. And subhanallah, um, that's to the Prophet ﷺ. So when Allah comes to the Jalal, 
then who are we? Where are we in this? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to fulfill our responsibilities. Then the famous verse you'll find in 81, وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ Right? إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُوقَ Which is that when the truth comes, generally the batil dissipates, but the truth has to come in the right way. You see this verse off-quoted, just wanted to point it out to you where it is. There's obviously the discussion of the ruh. This is the one where it's like, what is the spirit? What is this spirit, this ruh? The Jews uh, had this question, or rather they gave the question to the people of Makkah. The people of Makkah asked the question. So this was one of the questions. Another of the questions is, who's Dil Qadnaim? Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers that one. And here he says that you've only got to be given a bit of knowledge. Right? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's from the command of my Lord, but you've only been given a bit of knowledge. Some Mufassirin uh, have explained, tried to explain, saying that this is the bit of knowledge, while others have taken it that you can't understand it. Or the other interpretation is that this was being said to the people of Makkah or the Jews, that you don't have enough knowledge about this. Right? We've been given the knowledge about it. So there are various opinions about this. And then finally, we finish the surah. Uh, there's a sajda at the end of the surah. It's a place of a sajda, as we know. And the beautiful verses, which I just love. Say Allah or say Rahman. Call on to him which whichever, whichever name you want. Whichever name you call on him with, for him are the beautiful names. That has to be... One wonderful verse of mine. Uh, I just really enjoy that w- verse. And then Allah ends the surah by talking about Alhamdulillah, الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا. Alhamdulillah. Now we start Surah Al-Kahf. Surah Al-Kahf has a lot of discussion. And we will try to do our best to fit in as much of it as possible in the time that we have. Surah Al-Kahf is also a Makki surah, 110 verses. We're going back to the hundreds here. These are the Mi'in. We had a few surahs which were slightly shorter, but now we're back to the hundreds. And it has 12 sections in there. It's called Surah Al-Kahf because obviously it's got a very prominent story in there about the people of the cave. And Kahf means a cave. So these are the people of the cave. This is again another of us. It's one of the few surahs of the Qur'an. That starts with Alhamdulillah, with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You probably know another one which is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Then you've got Surah Al-An'am, which we've read already. Um, Surah Al-An'am, then there's Surah Al-Sabah, which is coming, and there's Surah Al-Fatir. Surah Al-Fatir, all of these, these are the five surahs in the Quran which start with Alhamdulillah. Right, with the praise of Allah in that sense. There's the Musabbihat, which start with Subhanallah. Like the previous one, Subhanallah the Asra, that was from the Musabbihat. Yusabbihu subhanallah and so on. Now, Surah Al-Kahf is one of those among the many surahs that we've done which has a lot of virtues associated with it in the, in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. For example, a hadith that Imam Muslim, Imam Nasai, Imam Ahmad, they all relate and from Abu Darda radiallahu anhu saying that whoever recites Surah Al- the last 10 verses of Surah Al-Kahf, they'll be protected from the fitna of Dajjal. There's another version which says the first 10 verses of Surah Al-Kahf. But then, why do people read the whole thing? There's another one, another hadith in which says the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever recites Surah Al-Kahf on a Friday, whether at night time or daytime, it will illuminate for him his entire week until the next Friday. It will provide light. What does this mean? Is it a spiritual light? We can't deny a spiritual light. 
How is this protection happening? So clearly, inshallah, just by reading it, there's a benefit of it. So minimum, try to read at least the first 10, last 10 verses. But if you can, recite the whole and try to eventually memorize it that way. But one of the secrets of this chapter, uh, secrets of this surah, as highlighted by numerous scholars, and there's a really wonderful book called uh, Faith versus Materialism. It's been translated into English called Faith versus Materialism. And uh, in Urdu, it was originally written in Urdu, it's called Ma'rika, Ma'rika Iman Madiyat. Which basically is ma'rakatul imani wal madiya. Madiya means materialism. And iman, ma'raka means the, the, the tension or the, the constant battle between um, materialism and faith. And subhanallah, I don't know about, I can't speak for previous uh, generations and previous uh, historical times, but I'm sure as much as the this surah is relevant today, like really relevant today, right? It must have been that relevant. But I find extreme relevance and ulama find extreme because right now there's a huge materialism, a big, big issue. It's always been an issue, but now with capitalism, consumerism, right? Materialism is a big issue, right? Hugely, I mean, people's dependency on that. We've got so much, I mean, materials and, and, and that in general is just uh, really advanced. So this surah, anybody who ponders over it, there's enough food in there for somebody to be guided in their understanding of what happens in this life. And the general challenge between the dunya and its materialism, right, the world and its materialism, and sticking and adhering to your faith. That is essentially the main theme of Surah Al-Kahf. And Surah Al-Kahf, the Kahf story, in, in particular, it's just one of those stories that drive that point home and highlight it. So when people read it, they should read it. And if they can, they should start to understand it. And that will have a much more profound effect because it will have a direct, inshallah, benefit. So it starts off, Alhamdulillah, ladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitab. All praises to Allah who revealed upon his servant the book. There's no crookedness in it. Again, discussion about the Quran and so on. And then suddenly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then starts discussing the, the sleepers of the cave. So, let me just quickly highlight to you the, the few stories. There are, in here, there are, you can say there are more than three stories, but there are probably three larger stories. And then there are three examples. Some of the examples can also be considered short stories. So I would say that well, yeah, I would say there's about four stories. I would push it to four stories. But many others have said that there's three main stories in here. And then there's three examples. And then you'll understand when I talk about them. The first story has to be, has to be Ashab al-Kahf. The Ashab al-Kahf, these are a few young people. They were young men, right? These are a few young men at the time of Decius. So this is in the Christian era. They were followers of Isa alayhi salam apparently. And they were in an area where they were idolaters and they were persecuting, persecuting the followers of Isa a.s. Right? So these people were persecuting followers of Isa a.s. Many probably have made change or whatever. These people, in order to avoid it... Now these, are, these were from prominent families. If we look at the tafsir, these young men were from prominent families. So it would have been very... Uh, they're very influential people apparently. 
right? That's why they, they're, they're, especially folk, they're especially targeted in this case. On the one hand, they're being uh, promised high posts, lots of uh, wealth and everything like that if they become idolaters and turn away from Christianity or turn away from the belief of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't want to say Christianity because Christianity has another meaning now. But in those days, it meant the pure belief. And uh, on the other hand, if they didn't agree, then they were being warned of deadly consequences, of, of being killed and so on and so forth. So eventually they decided to take off. So outside of the city, outside of the area, they eventually, where, where they needed to take rest, they found a series of caves. So they said, let's just stay in the caves for a while. They stayed in the caves and they fell asleep. And subhanAllah, Allah gives them a sleep. Right? And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَلَبِثُوا فِي كَهْفِهِمْ ثَلَاثَ مِئَةٍ سِنِينَ وَازْدَادُوا تِسْعَةً Amazing way Allah says that 309 years that they slept. And the way Allah describes it, فَدَرَبْنَا I mean, I'm fascinated by this, you know, from a scientific perspective. Amazing the way Allah describes it. Allah says, فَدَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ آذَانِهِمْ فِي الْكَهْفِ السِّنِينَ عَدَدًا We basically, you can say, we struck on their ears. It's almost like saying, we put headphones on their ears. All they could hear was white sound. You know when you put sound cancellation on? Literally like that, we just put sound cancellation on. Because if your eyes are closed, right, and you're used to the light outside, then that's not going to wake you up. What's going to then wake you up is sound. Sound is probably one of the biggest ways, aside from moving and shoving someone. So we close their ears, basically. And uh, eventually they wake up. And they think it's been part of a day or a day or whatever, you know, like normal sleep. It didn't feel like, how are you going to sleep? How are you going to think you've slept for so long unless you look at the time or the clock? They had no clocks. So now they're feeling hungry. I mean, after 300 years, I'm assuming people will feel hungry. So they give some of their coins. They had some of their coins. They give it to one of them and says, go surreptitiously. Go and buy us something. Find, ayyuha azka ta'aman falyatikum birizkim min. Right? Walyatalattaf. Be careful. Walyatalattaf. This is verse 19. Generally, if you see in many Mus'afs, they write that larger or they put some sign on it. Because apparently, those who've counted the words of the Qur'an, right, they say that is the absolute middle word. That's the peak. That's kind of like, you know, that's the middle word of the entire Qur'an. Allah knows best. I haven't counted it myself, but that is what uh, those who've counted it say. So, he goes out and he buys something. Maybe he's seeing there's a difference and then he tries to give his money. He says, what kind of money is this? This is like olden times money. This is gone now. This doesn't work. And apparently he's got a pleasant surprise. People are all believers now. Right? So they become heroes. When their story is told, they become heroes. And subhanAllah, there's numerous things which are established. Resurrection after death is proven from this. A miracle of faith is proven from this. Subhanallah. And they become heroes. So now there's a whole discussion which you can read for yourself. Say, Yaquluna, well, I mean, then it says, we're going to build a masjid over their graves. Right? There's that discussion that's happening and uh, in, if you look in verse 21, you've got إِذْ يَتَنَازَعُونَ بَيْنْهُمْ أَمْرًا فَقَالُوا بْنُوا عَلَيْهِمْ بُنْيَانًا They were discussing what to do and thus they said, let's build a structure on them. Now where is Ashabul Kahf? There are at least three places in the world that claim to have this honor of the Ashabul Kahf being there. I visited two of them and my father's visited the third one as well. Two of them are in Turkey. One is in Ephesus. That's the one I haven't visited. The one that I have visited is in Tarsus. 
Tarsus, as they say in Turkey, Tarsus, right in English. And uh, mashallah, there was a great Imam there, Imam uh, Daniel Atish, his name was, may Allah bless him, I don't know if he's alive still. He took us there and we read the whole of Surah Al-Kahf. That place claims to be it. And the third place, which according to many scholars is probably the most authenticated version, right, is the one in Jordan, in Amman, just, just, just outside, or just, it's not too far from the from Townsend, it's a day's journey, half a day's journey, you can go there. And uh, they've got, a, I think, a, a building next to it and so on, and there's old bones there, God knows if those bones are really from them or not, but Allah knows best, right, Allah knows best. So, the point is, that what, is, how, what does this story tell us, aside from what we've just mentioned? So, what we understand from here is that struggle for your faith pays off. It's worth it. There's numerous stories. When you've got to struggle for your faith, and today there are people in the world who are struggling for their faith in diff with different struggles. Some places, literally, they're being persecuted, driven out of their lands. In other places, they're just being attacked, left, right, and center. In, uh, physically and in other places it's through the media right and in other places they're being deprived of their rights and so on may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring about respites but this story and some of the other stories in here provides huge respite that if Allah can even put somebody to sleep for so long to survive these things then it's not too far fetched that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help as well that's why when there's a choice between something of materialism when it's going against your faith we ask Allah to help us choose the faith over materialism. The second story, which is fast-forwarded to the end of this chapter, right? That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from verse 60, 60 says, This is a story of Musa al-Islam that's not told anywhere else. One, remember, Musa Ali's story is repeated throughout. But this is a story which is not told anywhere else in the Quran, and it's his specific encounter with Khadir or Khidr, radiallahu an alayhi salam, you know, whatever the honorific is there. But Khadir or Khidr, you can say it both ways, and that comes from the word greenery. And it's possible that his horse, wherever his horse would move, the no, wherever he sat, apparently, it's in a hadith, wherever he sat, greenery would sprout there. There was a barakah with him. Maybe that's why it's called Khadir or Khidr. And apparently, according to many, he may still be alive. Uh, he's drank, drank from this water of life. Allah knows best. Some people have even claimed to have been visited by him, been helped by him, and so on. Anyway, a story took place in when somebody asked Musa, السلام, who is the most knowledgeable one? So he said, I am. I mean, he's the Prophet. So he thought he's the most knowledgeable one. Based on that understanding, with that logic, he said, I am. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't like that too much. So he says, okay, I'm going to teach you that there's going to be somebody else who's actually more knowledgeable than you are. Told him to take a journey. He takes with him one of his disciples, Yusha bin Noon, Joshua. Right? And he's carrying a fish. So that was their food, apparently. Uh, and as they stayed somewhere, the fish just uh, somehow got out of the basket and, and disappeared right into the ocean and then they carried on and then he says where's the food he says oh sorry the food you know when we had stopped at that place that's where the uh, the fish had, dis uh, fish had disappeared right took off so he said that's exactly the place we're looking for because he was told to go and see Khidr Khadir salam, at the confluence of the two oceans where two oceans meet now a lot of people have tried to understand where this confluence is 
uh, uh, I've seen one of the confluences, but I doubt if it's that one. I've seen the one at Cape Point in Cape Town. I don't think it's that one. This, they say, it might be the, uh, close to the Red Sea, which is the sea that actually opened up uh, and Pharaoh was uh, swallowed up in the Red Sea. I think I may have mentioned Nile before in one of the earlier parts. It's actually the Red Sea is the one where Musa alayhi salam, uh, was saved with, his, with the Bani Israel from the Pharaoh. Anyway, so the, the, the point is that when they got there, Musa alayhi salam, uh, when, when they got there, Musa alayhi salam finds this person who's covered up, and uh, so he is the person he's looking for. So then Musa alayhi salam says that, can I, you know, very humbly, mashallah, he's saying, can I stay with you to benefit from you? Can I learn from what Allah has given you? He says, no. He says, you can't, you're not going to be able to be patient with me. He already knows him. Like, you're not going to be able to be patient with me. He says, no, you know, let me be with you and so on. I won't ask you anything. He says, okay, fine. So they started. Now it comes up, they, uh, they, they have to cross a river. So there's some people there, they must have looked at these dignified individuals because at the end of the day, a prophet is going to be a dignified individual, whether you know he's a prophet or not. And then Khidr Ali salam. And that generally, you have that experience wherever you go, dignified people, people just recognize them. So they let them on board for free. But then halfway across, he starts pulling some planks off of the wooden boat or ship or whatever it was. Now Musa alayhi salam, he's one of justice, very bold, very open, straightforward. That's how Musa alayhi salam is. He says, they took us for free and you're causing defects to their boat. So Khidr alayhi salam says that, didn't I tell you that لن تستطيع معي sabra? You're not going to be, be able to be patient with me. I told you not to ask me anything. So Musa is saying, okay, okay, you know, this is my first mistake. La tu I forgot, right? And uh, don't make it more difficult for me. As you'll see in verse uh, 73. It's a very straightforward story. You can actually read it. So then they carried on. And then suddenly there's this youth, uh, maybe 11, 12 years old, some young boy. And Khidr somehow just kills him, right? He dies. Now, that's even a bigger, a bigger violation of the norms of the dunya. Like, you just go and kill someone. Why did you do that for? Right? You've done such a bad thing. Like, a qatalta nafsin zaki, a pure self, a pure nafs you've killed. So, there again, and that's the beginning of the next surah. Uh, sorry, the next uh, chapter, 16th chapter, verse 75. Didn't I tell you that you would not be able to be patient with me? So now Musa Ali said, okay, if I ask you, give me one more chance, one more question, then I'm out. So then they carry on. And now they come across, they're hungry, and they come across this area. And they ask for some food. Many of the Mufassirin say that this area is Antakya, Antioch, which is also in southern Turkey. Both Tarsus and it's like central southern Turkey. Right? Especially Antakya is more, more south from Tarsus, if I remember correctly. And uh, they refused to host them. They said, no, we're not going to give you any food. But then they find a wall there. And subhanAllah, Khidr like, is doing some very strange things. So he goes and starts rebuilding the wall. He said, Musa is like, there, those people took us for free and you damaged their boat. These guys, they didn't feed us and you're just doing this free labor for them. So he said, okay, that's the end of it. This is separation between us. But I will tell you now why I did those three things. Because, you know, he was there to teach him, right? So he says, okay, as far as the boat, th there's a reason behind all of this. Reason is that there's this, the ruler of this area, any good boat, he confiscates. So if I de make it a bit, I didn't cause it to, he didn't cause it to sink. He just made it defective, look damaged. So the guy won't take it. I'm actually doing them a favor. 
rather than lose their whole boat. I just damaged a bit, they can fix it up. Number two, this kid was going to be a bad kid. Allah knew that this kid was going to be a bad kid. Now there's lots of Qadr related issues here which we're not going to go into. And uh, for a discussion on Qadr, I would suggest you listen to a lecture of mine which is about one hour and 15 minutes, right? On the whole issue of free will, destiny, predestination, all of that in great detail is called don't be depressed, you don't know your future. It's on Zamzam Academy. I really suggest you listen to it. And inshallah, inshallah, you will find it satisfying, you know, to give some understanding of the complicated uh, issue of Qadr. So he said he, his parents really loved him. And there was this, the fitna aspect of it was going to be too great that he may have even taken them eventually to kufr and shirk. So now he's going to die, but Allah is going to give them much better children. Subhanallah. And the third one, that okay, the people may have not given us food, but this wall that I fixed and renovated belonged to these two orphans whose parents were good people, right? They were good people. And if the rest of the wall fell, there was treasure, wealth from the parents, apparently, that was for them buried underneath. But they're not old enough to look after it. When they get older, they'll inshallah find it. I was doing a good favor for them. So, from this story, the understanding we get is that there's a lot of things that seem to be strange on the face of it. That's the lesson we learn from it, right? That on the face of things, people die, a child dies, there's an accident, you get wounded. You're like, what is the benefit in this? There's always a benefit, right? There's a person who, you know, maybe goes into hospital with a small issue. And they think that's tough, that's bad. But maybe they've been just saved from a greater problem. Right? Maybe they've been saved from a greater problem. And only Allah knows. Sometimes we find out later what the reasoning for that was, even after 30 years or 40 years, or 70 years for that matter. And sometimes we never find out. That's why whatever has happened, we have to just leave it to Allah. That, okay, that's how it was supposed to be. We learn from our our mistakes but we don't cry over spilt milk forever and that's why the prophet said in the hadith of muslim go and avidly seek out what is to your benefit and do not be debilitated and sit back and be impotent just because five times when i tried nothing happened it's those who keep trying will get somewhere if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills it the that was the second story the third story the third prominent story is of Dhul Qarnayn, which is for tomorrow because it's in the section of the verses for the 16 Jews. So we'll look at the story of Dhul Qarnayn tomorrow, inshallah. Those are the three main stories. Now, the, quickly, the three examples that are provided, they don't take that long. So one of them, the three examples, the prominent examples here that, that, that are mentioned, one of them is the story of the two brothers or two friends. There's different opinions. One of them very wealthy. They, apparently, the one story goes is that they both inherited a huge amount of wealth. One invested it in the dunya and eventually had these orchards and had, had these, uh, these huge gardens and fruit and servants working for him. And this, mashallah, you know, one of the best assets of the day. And the other one spent it in the path of Allah, eventually ended up with nothing. Right? And then he had to go and ask for work to the other one. Subhanallah. And that you learn from, you can read about it. In verse from verse uh, from verse twenty 
32. Give them the example of the two men. We, one of them, we'd given them this orchard garden full of grapes. And then we'd, uh, we'd surrounded it by palm trees. And then in between it, we'd given him crops. He had everything. He had the fruits, he had the vegetation, he had water. And they used to be very proud. And then to boot, we also had given him a nice irrigation stream in between as well. Right? Everything together. What more could you, have, could you want for? Anyway, he became very arrogant. He became so... And now this is a proper example of materialism. Apparently, according to most ulama, this person was a believer. Nominal believer. He believed, but he'd, be, he'd been... He was doing shirk of uh, materialism, right? Depending too much on their material position, possession. Now the other one comes along and he starts censoring the other one. Like, Why didn't you invest your money and everything? Why did you give it out in the path of Allah? Look what I've got. And you know what? Uh, I don't even think that day of judgment is going to occur. Now he's in two minds. And even if I... If, وَمَا أَذُنُّ السَّاعَةَ قَائِمَةً Right? Verse 36. And even if I do get there, then... I'll, I'll make it well there as well. His, his brother or whoever it was was telling that, look, be careful with this. Like, you know, you're, you're doing kufr with, with God, right? The one who gives you all of this. And what would happen? Eventually the discussion is what would happen if all of this was just overtaken by a storm or by fire or whatever the case is. And he was just too arrogant. He didn't listen. And finally, that's exactly what happened. He just got burnt down completely. Now he's wringing his hands Right, يُقَلِّبُ كَفَّيْهِ عَلَى مَا أَنْفَقَ فِيهَا Upon what he had spent in there, what he had done in there. وَهِيَ خَاوِيَةٌ عَلَى عُرُوشِهَا It's just totally the, uh, on its roof uh, and everything is just on the ground. وَيَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِي لَمْ أُشْرِكْ بِرَبِّي أَحَدًا He said, only if I had not committed shirk right, and associated a partner with my Lord, anyone. Now, Many ulama said that because he was supposed to be a believer, what he meant by shirk here is doing shirk in partnering material means as an efficacy of their own, that they have their own efficacy. Not necessarily making other gods as such in that sense. Now, if you look around the world, the example that we get from here, uh, self-reflection, many, many of us may be guilty of this. We depend on the paracetamol not on Allah. Not to say we can't take the paracetamol. We depend on the paycheck coming in. We depend on our work. We depend on a balance. We depend on food. We depend on certain people and so on. And again, if all of that done is as a worldly means, that's completely fine. Just not to be done at the same level as Allah. Allah should always be our guidance, our trust, our mainstay. And that's our trust should always be in Allah. So this guy, uh, this is exactly what happened to him. The second example is the one that follows that in the next section, which is from verse 45. Again, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا So that one is وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ وَضْرِبْ إِدْرِبْ generally means to strike, to hit, but it also means to strike an example. So in this case it's strike an example of the life of this world. So there's no story in here. This is the example you must think of about the way things work. So look at this. He says, Allah says, كَمَا إِنْ أَنزَلَّهُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ Just imagine that where, like in Australia right now, they had a huge drought. 
and a few months ago and after the fires and everything and then suddenly when they got the water you see people just r literally rolling around in that rain like which would for person in England like you're trying to stay away from the rain and there they're rolling around because the they see the value of it these farmers and everything and without rain you know you'd be struggling prices increase and so on because the crops cannot grow so anybody can really appreciate this who are, who are well grounded in that sense he says it's like the water that we cause to descend from the heavens now the various different crops of the ground get mixed up with that water but eventually so initially you see the whole hustle bustle the greenery the lushness and you see all the crops and you get excited because that's food for you it's like at the time of iftar in the daytime you don't want to see food right don't go shopping when you're fasting because you end up buying more because your stomach is very greedy your eyes are very greedy greedier than the stomach at iftar time, when you're about to go for iftar and it's going to be iftar time and all that food is laid out there, mashallah, all that barakah is there, can you see the goodness you feel? Right? The joy that you feel. And the Prophet uses that. Right? Because he's saying that that joy you feel, there's two joys for the fasting person. One is the joy you feel there, the other joy is when you meet with Allah. If, that, if the joy of meeting Allah is going to be even superior to this joy, and this joy is so much of iftar time, mashallah. But you know when you see the lushness and everything, when you see all the, all the food there? Subhanallah. But then afterwards what happens is that when the rain doesn't happen and everything just gets withered and it's all dry now and it becomes such that the wind just blows it away, that's exactly the way the life is going to be. You start off, you get older, you get possessions, but then eventually you die and then it's nothing. The, every object of the world will become like that. This is materialism. That's why Allah then says, Al-Malu wal Banuna Zinatul Hayatid Dunya. Your wealth and your children. The wealth and children, just an adornment. They're not for permanence. They're a way that you just enjoy your life with, but not for their sake. Right? It's not for their sake. Wal baqiyatu salihatu khayrun inda rabbik. The perpetually remaining pieties. But perpetually remaining good actions, those are superior in the sight of your Lord in terms of reward, and they're better things to be hoped for. And that could be du'as, that could be tasbih, la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lalahu al-mulku alhamdu la subhanallah walhamdulillahi wa la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. That is considered to be baqiyah rusaliyat, otherwise the other opinion, if you look at the tafsir, it's any good deed. Because they will take you into the next world and benefit you there in the form of palaces, gardens, trees, whatever, right? That's the benefit there. The other verse I want to point out to you, that's the second example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, provides there. And uh, so you can take all of these things as asbab, enjoy the world, you know, enjoy your food, enjoy your iftar, enjoy your ice cream, no problem, right? But just understand that Allah is the one who provides all the sabab. These things are only a tool in this world. They're only things to use. Really, it's Allah and the good deeds that we need to be, uh, we need to, we need to be working on. The third example um, uh, is basically from verse 50. And that is, iblis. The story of Iblis and Adam Aysam's creation. Angels being told to prostrate. They all do so except Iblis and then his arrogance. So the third message is arrogance. Stay away from arrogance. That's the third example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides. 
And then again, وَلَقَ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلِ We have provided all types of examples and anecdotes and stories in the Qur'an for them to understand. So, to now finish off, there's just one or two verses I want to point your attention to. If you look at verse 49, that always really strikes me, right? Because, subhanAllah, it says, it reminds me of this nasheed on the day that my deeds will be on the days that on the day that the deeds will be displayed i know for one that i'll be afraid subhanallah wawudi al kitab this is what allah says and the books will be placed the records will be brought fatar al mujrimin mushfiqin you will see the transgressors the wrongdoers in fright scared mimma fi from what's in there and then when they actually start reading it right then it says that, that then you start reading it and you start noticing everything wayaquluna ya waylatana ma li hadha alkitab they're going to say woe to us what is wrong with this book what kind of a record is this la yughadiru saghiratan wala kabiratan illa ahsaha it's not missed any major event or even a small detail smallest minute detail it's got it all. وَوَجَدُوا مَا عَمِلُوا حَاضِرًا Whatever they've done, their deeds, they'll find them present there and Allah will not oppress anybody. This was, made, this was understood always, right? This has been a verse for over 1400 years, it's what understood. But mashallah now, Allah has given us a way to understand this like probably never before. That is the way, simple example of Google tracking everything about you. You can literally contact Google to release to you Right? What they've got on you in terms of the sounds that have gone into your phone, every single sound bite you can get. Right? Like if you've forgotten, you've, you've said something, you had a discussion with somebody and then you've forgotten, you can probably ask Google and they'll probably send it to you. Right? Every single sound bite. Where you've been, where your phone has been. Who obviously everyone you've sent messages to. Not just that, every time you've put the phone on and off, every time you've checked an app, which app you check, everything is tracked, everything, everything. So Allah is just showing us in this world that the hard drives and the tracking system He has, they, they're going to be a far more superior to this. There's several places where things are tracked, by the way. Allah says, ma sudur." So everything is being, there's a major hard drive in the heart, in the, in the chest, that that is going to be revealed. Yawma idhin tuhadithu akhbaraha. The earth, that is tracking everything as well. The day when it will tell its news. Now we understand it. How is the earth going to tell its news? Well, the way your phone tells you news about you. That's a miracle of the Quran. Right? That's a miracle of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this. Then of course, now the two angels. I mean, subhanallah. Right? The two angels. You've got Google now as the third angel tracking everything you do. Right? For the wrong reason. Shaitan, you know. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Anyway, so that's a very prominent verse you should focus on. And uh, I think having said that, the, it, it's, it stops in the middle of that story. We will stop here as well. And we ask Allah to allow us to complete the rest of it and the rest of the Quran as well. But alhamdulillah, we've gone over the, high, the, the, the halfway mark. Right? So we've done 15 juz now. And may Allah make the rest easy and make, may, make it beneficial. But above all, may Allah accept it from all of us. May Allah grant us all sincerity and facilitation 
and enable us to complete the rest and be people of the Quran. May Allah accept us for that. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.